What you're about to hear was aired on Planet Philadelphia, environmental radio show on Germantown Community Radio, 92.9 FM, WGGTLP in Philadelphia, and on gtownradio.com. Hi everyone, I'm Kay Wood, the host of Planet Philadelphia. Thanks for tuning in. Linda Rosenwein is here with me, and we're on a call with Mike Weilbacher. He's the executive director of the Schuylkill Center for Environmental Education. Hi, thank you so much for talking with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Happy Earth Day. Celebrating our planet. Well, one of the ways we'll be celebrating today is talking about Philadelphia and its nature. But before we get into everything, could you tell folks a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I direct the Schuylkill Center for Environmental Education, tucked up in Roxborough on the northwestern edge of the city. I've been here for more than a decade, and we do environmental education programming of all kinds. We saw an article about your new book about wildlife in Philadelphia. So if you could tell us a little more about that. I'd love to. Thank you. So the book is Wild Philly, Explore the Nature in and Around Philadelphia. And it's done by Timber Press. And they have come up with a series of books on the nature of American cities. So it began with Wild L.A., Wild Philly was next. Wild Miami is out about the same time. Wild New Orleans and Wild Dallas are coming. So they're doing a whole bunch of books exploring the nature of these cities. And I use the model that they use for the other books, where there are introductory chapters that kind of set the stage for the story of nature in and around the city. And then there's 101 species that you need to know if you live in wild Philly. And then 25 walks in and around Philadelphia. And that's the eight counties, the five around Philadelphia and Pennsylvania, and three hugging the Delaware River in Jersey, plus four extra credit walks. So if you live in Philadelphia and hear nature people talk about nature, there are four places you have to go to. Hawk Mountain to see migrating hawks in the fall. Cape May also has a great hawk watch performance, so we'll send you to Cape May in the fall as well. And there you can also see migrating monarch butterflies and all kinds of other birds. And then back to Cape May in the spring around Mother's Day to see the horseshoe crabs lay their eggs. And uh, a wonderful migratory bird called the red knot comes up and, and refuels there at the exact same time. And then the fourth walk would be in the Pine Barrens. So those are the kind of the extra credit walks. What's special about Philadelphia from a nature point of view? A number of things. Every city is different. Um, But what's nice is Philadelphia is located so that we are at the northern range of some southern species and the southern range of some northern species. So we're going to get a slight mixture of things. Plus, we've been around a while. So nature is kind of reclaiming the city in a lot of ways. So lots of people who live in the city see some surprising things uh, like coyotes, Coyotes have been found multiple sites across the city. We have them here at the Schuylkill Center, by the way, which doesn't worry us, even though we have lots of kids here all the time, because coyotes are secretive. They tend to stay away from people. Uh, They also tend to be active at night when we're not here. So we've seen their droppings and we've seen their footprints, but uh, only a couple of people have been lucky enough on the staff to see coyotes. 
So I think that there are some surprising creatures that inhabit wild Philly. Another great surprise for me is that beavers have returned to Philadelphia at multiple places in the city, along the Delaware, along the Schuylkill, along, oh my gosh, Cobbs Creek, the Wissahickon. Oh, I should also add that the book has lots of photography. And I worked really hard with some wonderful nature photographers who live in Wild Philly. There's a wonderful photograph of a large tree on the Delaware shore that a beaver has cut through, has chiseled through, and it's almost about to fall. Um, and right behind it is this hulking old abandoned coal-fired power plant on the Delaware. So you've got nature reclaiming the industrial sites that aren't industrial anymore. So post-industrial Philadelphia has nature busily reclaiming those sites. That's also a, that piece that makes Philadelphia's story special. Also, we shouldn't forget to mention that we have one of the largest city parks in the nation. Absolutely. And a lot of it is quite wild, speaking of wild. And then I wanted to mention about the beavers. We did an interview in the last year about rewilding some of the West. And the beaver is one of the species that could do that because it brings water and all the animals and the flora that come with that. You talked about the book and, and what you saw. What does it feel like walking on these long walks? It feels lots of things. One is time outside in nature is restorative for people. So actually your mood elevates, blood pressure lowers. So one of the great things about going on all these walks, I spent a lot of time outside. This was during the height of the pandemic. So that's one of the reasons it was a great project. And then there's just, you know, seeing the nature. The more walks you do, the more you know what to look for. And if you read the book, you might actually look for some of the things that are mentioned in the books. Um, the other piece is that there's a variety of walks. Some of them are really easy and some of them are a little harder. So some of them are, are very family friendly. And you mentioned the Wissahickon. The Wissahickon is an important feature in the book. And there's a whole section on the geology of the Wissahickon. So why are those rocks so magnificent and why are they striped? And why do they jut out the way that they do? In the Lenape chapter, we'll talk about the statue of the uh, Lenape chief that you can see in the Wissahickon too, and kind of the mythology around it. And we try to set the record right. Happily, modern Lenapes helped me write that section, or at least with my backstop, I'm making sure I got that section right. So you mentioned the Lenape. Could you talk more about that, please? This was one of the wonderfully happy surprises of doing the research for the book. And what I didn't realize is that the Lenape, like many Native American tribes across North America, practiced fire ecology. The Lenape were extraordinary ecologists. They understood the plants and animals around them, knew them, used them, and, you know, they knew their life cycles in and out. Uh, but I didn't realize that when the first European colonial settlers came to this region, they saw especially around Philadelphia, what's currently Philadelphia, a highly managed landscape that wasn't really natural because the Lenape were burning forests to keep them in an early stage of succession so that they would keep the nut trees around. So they wanted hickories, acorns from oak trees, 
beech trees with beech nuts. Beeches are cousins of oak trees. So they're looking for those. Plus, you get brambles with like blackberries in early succession. So they were looking for food for them. But also, it's the great thing, if you have all these nut trees, you're getting food for turkeys, deer, bear, animals that you want as food too. So the, the forest was not natural, not untouched. It was highly touched. I guess we always have this notion of Native Americans living passively in the land, uh, but Lenape were actively managing the land. So we, we tell that story um, in great detail, and it was such a pleasure to write. And then we also have a sidebar uh, about the place names in Philadelphia. So if you ever want to know a Conshohocken or Moya Messing or Wissanoming, <laughs> what those mean, <laughs> we'll give you that too. Some of the names are really funny. What they mean is really funny. I'll just tell you one thing. Uh, Mequon is a small community tucked up against Conshohocken. And Mequon means feather. And it was the Lenape's inside joke name for William Penn. They called him Mequon Feather because he signed all his documents that he brought, like treaties, with a quill pen, with a feather pen. I love that. Well, I'd like to follow up on what it feels like, not just what's in the book, but what it felt like to you to be in nature. Well, yeah. So I've been doing these walks like this for my whole life. So it always feels great. I always learn something. I always see something surprising. This flower opened this week. This bird is here this week. This tree is doing that. Um, so there's always surprises, things that you don't expect to see. Sometimes the walks are hard because I'm very attentive to climate change. And so I'm noticing uh, like we've had a weirdly early spring. Things were blooming way out of sequence, sometimes even a month early. So sometimes the walks are a little bit scary for me because I'm seeing more evidence of climate change than I really want to. But in general, it's just for me, it's always just so pleasurable to be immersed in, in the outdoors and nature. I want to explore more the variety of things around Philadelphia. Do we have any old growth forests anywhere in the region? So technically there are no forests that were not logged at some point in their history. But Carpenter's Woods in Mount Airy is like a famous birding hotspot. Carpenter's Woods isn't huge, but if you listen to birders talk about birding in the spring, especially during spring migration, when warblers are coming through, now, I don't know if you know warblers, but they are these wonderfully small but bejeweled birds with lots of yellows and black dots and orange stripes and uh, orange cutouts and black wings and, oh my gosh, gold and green. And there's a blue in some of the birds that you've never seen before. So warblers are just beautifully colored in the spring. They have their mating colors on and they all pass through on their journey north. Oh, I should say they mostly pass through. There are some warblers like the yellow warbler and the yellow throat who are nesting in Philly, but much of the bulk of them are flying past us to go like up to the Adirondacks or the Catskills and the Poconos to, to be nesting. So we get this small window to see them. Uh, and a place like Carpenter's Woods is one of the places that birders go to, to find them. And they've joined the old growth network. So Carpenter's Woods, from its mind, the trees are so old that in their mind, they qualify as old growth. But technically, you know, they were logged at some point. So there's no 
uh, what we used to call virgin forests. None of those in Wild Philly at this point. Just continuing to explore the types of habitats. There's like lakes, streams, and rivers, and there's fields, and there's forests. Yeah, there is variety. Of course, we have extraordinary forests here. I mean, we are Penn's Woods, right? So great forest walks, but then uh, lots of creek and riverside walks. So along Ridley Creek, um, along Pennypack Creek, along the Delaware River, uh, two walks on the Delaware River, actually. You've got a bunch of creeks and rivers that are in the book as well. The Pine Barrens is one of the extra credit ones, and that's a whole unique habitat. But you go to Batstow Village, and you not only get some of the history of the Pine Barrens, but you also get some of the extraordinary ecology. So you walk through a pine forest to get to a bog, and there's two different habitats there. And the bog has that wonderful moss, sphagnum moss, in it. And then alongside, tucked in and among the mosses, are uh, carnivorous plants, pitcher plants and sundews, plants that eat insects, uh, insectivorous plants. In Andorra, I send you to Andorra Meadow, um, in the summertime to get a good meadow and to get the butterflies that live in the meadow. There's a shale barrens in Chester County at the Chesland Preserve uh, that's owned by Natural Lands that you'll go to in late summer, early fall. And the shale barrens is a unique habitat in this region where uh, there's a serpentine barrens. Uh, serpentine rock is a strange rock that surfaces in a couple of places in Chester County. And the rock has all these weird metals in it that are toxic to most plants. So there's a whole ecosystem of plants who've evolved that can adapt to the serpentine habitat. And better, there's a butterfly who lives on one of the plants. So you look for the butterfly too. We're talking about habitats and walks and things, but a lot of people in Philadelphia live in areas with very, very low green space. Yeah. And many of them don't have access to cars. So, yep. so are there things where people can enjoy green space, nature, that they can actually access by, say, public transit? Absolutely. Yeah. I was very mindful of that. So one of the walks is at FDR Park, and I wanted to send you there around uh, July 4th weekend. And FDR Park likes to say it's the most ethnically diverse park in the city of Philadelphia. And you will see that ethnicity in its whole rainbow um, of diversity at uh, FDR Park on 4th of July weekend. So you get a little bit of nature. You get some lakes at FDR Park, too, some big trees. Uh, there are some monstrous trees in FDR Park. And then you'll see Philadelphians uh, of every ethnicity with their unique celebrations and unique foods of the 4th of July. Um, Maniunk Canal, um, you know, right in the heart of Maniunk, is an easy walk for people to get to. And you will see turtles piled upon turtles uh, along the canal, uh, multiple species of turtles, and probably a great blue heron or two uh, poking around. And you'll see lots of evidence of beaver there. We'll also send you into Maniunk uh, another time in the spring to look for the peregrine falcons. They are the world's fastest animal. They can dive at more than 200 miles per hour. Highly endangered, right? Rachel Carson's Silent Spring. Speaking of Earth Day, we should do a shout out to Rachel Carson. Eggshell thinning from DDT caused not only uh, the endangerment of peregrine falcons, but the extinction of the eastern race 
of the peregrine falcon. So there was no eastern subspecies anymore by the 70s. So through captive breeding and selective breeding to try to recreate something that was similar to the eastern subspecies, they began reintroducing peregrines to the wild. And now peregrines nest on all the bridges across the Delaware River in, in Philadelphia. They nest on a couple at the Schuylkill. They nest on City Hall. And there's a great nest at uh, St. John the Baptist Church um, in Maniunk. It's the biggest uh, stone steeple in Maniunk. And if you look at, at the top, there are windows where the in the bell tower at the top of the steeple. And the one facing the Schuylkill River has a white wash of guano down the front of it. And that's how birders discovered um, that there were peregrines nesting there. And she's been there for the better part of 15 years, uh, setting up a nest. Oh, there's a great walk uh, at Pennypack on the Delaware, a small pocket park in northeast Philadelphia, uh, on the Delaware River, where the Pennypack Creek, Big Creek in Philadelphia, comes in. So uh, that's easy to get to. So lots of walks are easily accessible by mass transit. And there's two walks in the Wissahickon as well. Earlier when we were talking, I had asked you about your feelings while you were taking a walk, and you mentioned yeah. that sometimes the feeling was a little a little upsetting, possibly, because of climate change and what you saw. Yeah. So I'd like you to talk a little bit more about that, if you could, about the effects of climate change. Sure. And actually, I've been traveling through the region doing a presentation on uh, data uh, specific to Philadelphia. Um, so everyone knows about California wildfires and polar bears, ice thinning at the, at the polar ice caps. But what's going to happen here in Philadelphia? So the talk is called Hotter, Wetter, Weirder, which kind of encapsulates what's happening with climate change in Philadelphia. So our storms are getting more fierce. Weird combinations of plants and animals are growing. Uh, so there, there are plants that didn't used to be here. There are birds that didn't used to be here. So we now have two species of vultures. There's uh, The turkey vulture has been here forever. Uh, but the black vulture, its cousin, is a southern species who's moved up in recent years. So we have new species who are expanding their southern ranges north, possibly due to climate change. So that's that's been happening. I know that um, this spring, especially at, here at the Google Center, but at places all across the region, everybody noticed that flowers were blooming way too early, like historically crazily early. So there was a lot of concern about that. And if the flowers bloom too early, before the pollinators come out, then the flowers don't get pollinated, and then the seeds don't get made. So there's lots of concerns about the progression of spring being upended. Um, but one of the issues with climate change is extreme storm events. Uh, I guess we've all heard about the 100-year storm. So it's the storm that there's a 1% chance in any year in a century that it happens. The better way to translate it is... If you live to be 100, you might see one of them. So I am not 100 yet, <laughs> uh, but I've seen five 100-year storms in Philadelphia. That's a little scary. So actually, the book has a chapter on threats to our nature and covers uh, some information on climate change, invasive uh, non-native species that are taking over, stormwater, deer, etc., Deer overbrows, unfortunately, has been a big problem in Philly. We earlier talked about Earth Day. Would you like to say something more about Earth Day? Oh, I'd love to talk about it. Uh, I'm only here because of Earth Day, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm one of those millions of Earth Day kids. 
in April of 1970, I was a seventh grader, somehow got bit by the Earth Day bug back then. So I'm only in seventh grade and knew I was going to do environmental work. Uh, I don't know why I knew that, but I knew that I was. And uh, when I went to college, luckily, I happened to go to a college that had an environmental education program. And I've been doing Earth Day programming then my entire life, which is great. Uh, there was a big Earth Day in Philadelphia in 1990. Like 125,000 people came to Belmont Plateau, that was West Philly. Um, and my wife worked on it with me. So I met my wife for Earth Day. So essentially, I owe my career, my family, all to 1970 and 1990 Earth Days, by the way. So that's Earth Day special to me. Is there something you'd like to share about how we should be thinking about this Earth Day with where we are now. The unique moment that we're in is this weird time where as half of the country knows that global climate change is real and we have to do something like yesterday. And I don't know if it's half, but a big chunk of the country thinks that it's it's fake news and we've we've made it up. And so that we can be this deep into seeing the impacts of climate change and still having that same argument, for me, is inexplicable. Um, you have to deliberately and willfully ignore what you see with your own eyes to say that climate change isn't happening. Um, you know, when was the last time that we had a river of stormwater flowing down I-676, the Vine Street Expressway that Ida brought to us a year or two ago? And actually, what's hard about climate change is it's happening faster than the models predicted. So I spent much of my adult life saying this was an issue for my children and grandchildren. And forget that. This is happening right now. It's an issue for us at this moment. It's not something that's going to happen in 15 years. It's happening right now. So we all should be doing things for Earth Day, but there's much bigger work to be done at the same time. So at the Schuylkill Center, uh, we have our Nature Palooza Earth Day Festival for families from 10 to 2 on Saturday, April 22nd, the Earth Day. So April 22nd is always Earth Day. And so we've got our family festival free. We've got nature walks. Billy Jonas is a, a family musician who does great environmental, uh, really funny music. So he'll be doing two performances. Uh, we've got lots of groups coming to share tables and activities. We have art activities, uh, nature investigations. You can dip into our pond and find living things. So uh, Earth Day is a big celebration uh, here at the Schuylkill Center, and we'd love everybody to come to our Nature Palooza Festival uh, April 22nd from 10 to 2. Before we close, I wanted to point out some other things that your center is doing. I happen to access the YouTube presentation of Environmental Justice Symposium you guys did recently. Yeah. And I would recommend that to other people. That's certainly environmental justice is a big issue for Philadelphia. It certainly is. And I think uh, you'll see around Earth Day that reflected too in that the city has a new plan for reforesting the city and, and bringing back tree cover. And the tree cover has a huge environmental justice component because the neighborhoods in Philadelphia that are economically the least well off are the ones that have the least tree cover. 
And so those are the ones the city's going to spend the most time being attended, attending to with tree cover. So I'm sure it's going to be a lot of tree plantings uh, in and around Earth Day and then Arbor Day is a week later. So you're going to see a lot of trees being planted, but that's got a huge justice component. Yeah, we did a roundtable uh, and the Google Center does have a YouTube channel. Uh, we did do an eight week series of lectures called Thursday Night Live, which you can access on the YouTube channel and you've got past years of Thursday Night Lives too. So yeah, do check that out. Thank you, Linda. So if people want to check this out, they would go to your website and what is that? Yeah, schoolkillcenter.org, schoolkillcenter.org. Well, thank you so much for talking with us today. Oh, thank you, Planet Philadelphia. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. If you want to know more about Planet Philadelphia, go to planetphiladelphia.com. You could also find out more about other G-Town Radio programming by going to gtownradio.com. I hope you will consider making a small monthly donation to help Planet Philadelphia continue presenting interviews on important underreported environmental topics and exploring their complexities and intersections. Thank you so much for your support.